0: You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. Welcome to
1: Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington. 148 million Americans are working. Mm-hmm. Seven or eight million have more than one job. But seven or eight million have more than one job out of nearly 150 million people. That their comments for theater well
2: facts matter, to
0: your
1: point so, <laughs> though <laughs> they, don't matter, they don't matter on the left she's on the right
3: well to that point i mean does it work to 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 tell people the economy's not good when it is improving
1: the bottom line is anyone who wants to attack the Trump economy must find a way to do it in theater because the reality of it is when you add 213,000 jobs just last month, unemployment is so low that the long-term unemployment are coming back to work and we have a 45-year high in optimism from small businesses, the left is losing their mind. This is kind of fun to watch on TV because <laughs> no one believes what they're saying is so far out of the realm of reality, we are in good shape.
4: That was Senator Tim Scott. Um, He really was having some fun with this idea that uh, Ocasio-Cortez is putting forward. Now Elizabeth Warren has picked it up. And PolitiFact has said it's a lie of the, the week or something. They gave it some amazing designation. But the reason that the unemployment numbers are so low is because they're counting people more than one time because so many Americans are working three and four jobs. Eight million people have more than one job. The remainder of those who've returned to the workforce are returning for just one job, one job opportunity. And it is normal for some people to work more than one job. The, these are individuals who are working. Basically, you have two part-time jobs. And, and you choose to do that. It's not like they're being forced to do that. They can't find a full-time job. They prefer to work two part-time jobs because they're two part-time jobs that they like. Come on. Uh, so And that's, that's the freedom of being in America, isn't it? All right, so I want to go to the phones. It's always so much fun to get to speak to uh, people who are, are calling in and uh, a part of our listening audience. We have Jacob in Alabama. Thanks for calling in today. How are you doing? Doing well. All right. I just got to get away from the people so they can't hear my voice
0: so much. So.
3: Okay.
0: um Yeah, I, mean, I haven't hollered you in almost a year because I've been tra- as a missionary I've been traveling. I just want to say congratulations for that new move. Uh, to AFR. Thank you. And
4: Thank you're doing you very an much. You excellent job. Thank you. I really appreciate I that. Kept, I catch you every now and
0: again at, at midnight, and, um, and I'm going to say this to you in a certain way. Can, I, I use this. Okay.
4: Um, yeah, still here. Yeah, what it is,
0: it's, it's, yeah you're, um, uh, you're growing quite well in your position. Um,
3: and I uh, just hope you spend more time
4: with your family. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much for calling in. And uh, we, so what he's speaking of is news that we're sharing. We're, we're just kind of inching it out. And uh, we'll be having a press release and some more information on it. But we have begun to share over on American Family Radio that this program is being picked up. And so we'll have the first hour of the show live on American Family Radio during the day while the first hour is going on. And so we'll still be here on Urban Family Talk as well. And we've been doing a re-air uh, at, in the evenings, which has been midnight to 2 a.m. And there's a significant number of listeners who are overnight listeners who've been enjoying hearing the re-air of the day show at night. So it's really a privilege to have um, the, the, the leadership at American Family Radio want to bring this program over there and share it as well live during the day for the first hour. So I'm super excited about that. It's not really a change uh, programming-wise as far as what we'll be doing here. Same program, same hostess, you know, a same producer, um, and we're really excited about it. We've really just been um, kind of just kind – of, I've just been trying to take it in because it's such an honor and a privilege, and I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about the expansion, and I just want to keep doing more of what we've been doing all along here, and I'm um, just – trying to glorify God and what we do here on this radio program and it it's a tall order and I'm I'm I feel like I'm up to it but it's definitely uh it's a privilege. So it's really great news for us and we're really happy to know that uh, people are starting to hear about it over at American Family Radio. So <laughs> a little bit of breaking news here. Uh well, first off, let's let's go over what we were just listening to Senator Scott calling out Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Warren for their ridiculous jobs claims. And that's true. I mean, the president actually just signed a really interesting um, executive. Well, it was kind of like an initiative that he signed and he got a bunch of the largest companies in the country to commit to internships and training for three point eight million employees. So whether they're already employees or they are potential employees, people who are not working for them, and we're talking about companies like Walmart and then small companies, and they all came together at the White House, and Ivanka Trump was there and, and some other staffers in the White House and leadership, and then the president, and they signed this agreement. And the, Walmart committed to training a million people. So wonderful news. It's an extension of what the president's trying to do on jobs. Um, let's go back to the phones really quickly. We have Rico in Mississippi. Rico, thanks for calling the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
4: Um, Sure. I just really wanted to um, just see what you thought about... um,
0: Someone brought up to me the point um, that the conservative movement is actually... um, They have made the marriage and the abortion issue into their God. So, therefore, when if the abortion and the gay marriage issue become your God and you start talking about those things more so and more so, then, of course, you could vote for someone that, you know, I know that um, conservatives, you know, they love them to death, but that is the only way that, well, yeah, that's the only way that someone who is confessing to be a believer in Christ could wholesale go along with everything that he does, says, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But because the, the marriage and abortion issue become your God, of course you're going to vote for that. But there are those Bible-believing, Christ-following Christians that saw that and saw that, everything that he represented as evil, along with Hillary Clinton, and they wanted no part of it. And I believe mm-hmm. there has to be a space in the Church for those Christians, those believers, that think that that whole movement is evil— um, well,
4: let me know. ask you a question, Rico. Are the Bible-believing Christians who are, were opposed to Donald Trump? And I believe that, that that's, that's a reality. Hey, Santos,
5: what up? Um, Beautiful
0: tragedy, you...
4: I, I'm not sure what just happened there. Rico, do we still have you? Okay. Well, I was going to ask Rico if these Bible-believing Christians were able to... How they were able to comport with... Abortion, it's, it's not a God for me. So first of all, abortion and traditional marriage are not gods, they're issues. And to talk about them is to offer them up as issues that have importance and weight and are something that we're interested in seeing rectified. We want to live in a nation that glorifies God. It's obviously that our country is, we have many different religions that are practiced here. Not everyone is a Christian. But we have a D- Judeo-Christian founding. And morality is something that most religions actually, they have their, their kind of laws, commandments, uh, you know, strictures around that. So I, I, I disagree that abortion and uh, traditional marriage are gods for people on the right. I think when you say that people who support Donald Trump agree with everything that he does. Clearly, I do not. I I criticize the president when I feel it's warranted. And I don't see him as someone who's infallible, who can't make mistakes. His moral background as it pertains to his marriages and his infidelity are not things that I think are good examples for Americans. But they are indicative of our larger society and the normalization that we've experienced with divorce and remarriage and infidelity. So, a people that have you know, a, you know, a, a divorce rate that's between 30 and 50 percent, depending on which decade you're looking at, um, we can't expect to all of our leaders to be perfect and moral and upright when the populace that they're coming out of that they represent is not that way. And it's not that I'm condemning people who've been divorced or who have you know made the mistake of, of being not faithful in their marriages. It's that I'm, I'm recognizing that this is something that happens in our culture. So the idea that um, because the Democrats lucked out with Barack Obama having a good family life, that all of a sudden they have all of this room to talk on marriage, it's just not true. Now, for people who are calling themselves independents, and this is really, this is, this is the conversation um, that we could obviously have, but we have to remain calm and impartial in it. Um, it for me, where, where, where does a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian who doesn't support Donald Trump but doesn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, exactly what world are you living in? Where, so you're going to wait until there's a morally upright person that you can agree with on most things before you will vote again for the president? In abstaining from voting, are you not making a choice? Because it's not that you're not voting for either one of them. Your lack of voting enables one of them to be the president and one of them not to be the president. It's that simple. So in all of the elections that we've ever had in this country, it has been a choice between the lesser of two evils. It is not just this last time that that was our choice. And the reason I say that is because every election that we've ever had, both of the candidates have been human beings, meaning they're sinful individuals in need of a savior. Now, there've been times where Uh, We've been between two Christians or one who's a professing Christian and one who's not. We've had many different iterations of Christianity presented to us in the form of presidential candidates. But in every opportunity, neither candidate could be called perfect and upright. All of them have had flaws. All of them have made mistakes. All of them had things in their past that you could say were, you know, I, I call this into question. Why is this person the one that should be our leader? Clearly, we've had some differences in the quality of the candidates as far as their their marriages and their personal lives. Um, but at, on, on each of them, if we go down the list, we can find something about every single one of them. They used drugs in their past. They had relationships with women before they were married. They had you know, I, I don't think we've had Donald Trump's our first president who's had. Nope. Ronald Reagan was our first president who'd been married more than one time, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Modern era. I'll say in the modern era. Um, but George Bush had used drugs and been an alcoholic. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton, where do we begin? I mean, that guy, you know, um, all of them have had something that, that we could point to and say, wow, you know, he's, he's been through some stuff. But that also comes along with age. If you've lived it all, you've made some mistakes. So I don't agree with the characterization of Americans on the Christian right who are supporting Donald Trump having abortion and traditional marriage as gods or pro-life and and traditional marriage as gods that we serve. It's in the pursuit of walking out our faith as Christians who participate in the culture that we live in, we're in the world, not of the world, that we seek to eliminate the sacrifice of babies on the altar of sexual promiscuity. That's what the pro-life movement is about. It's about caring for women and caring for the unborn, the least of these and as far as traditional marriage is concerned, it's unbiblical for two men or two women to be married. That is something that we believe because we believe the word of God is true and we would oppose that and want to see candidates who would oppose it as well. That's it. It's, there's nothing worshipful about it. It's just some the issues that we support. And I also think it's just the last kind of comment on this, to say that we have our elected officials um, how do I put this to say that we are <laughs> only supporting Donald Trump because of his stances on traditional marriage and abortion ignores all of the other. It, he had a hundred points that he ran on. He's he had a 100 point plan that he said, this is what I'm going to do if I'm the president. And I don't know anybody anecdotal alert. I don't know anybody who voted for Donald Trump who hadn't looked at that plan and didn't know for a fact that that plan was something that they could support, either all of it or most of it. So um, I, I love the conversation and I encourage more of it, but we have to be respectful of the fact that just like people who support Hillary Clinton have a nuanced view of who she was, people who support Donald Trump also have a nuanced view. And to kind of boil it down and accuse us of idolatry is not really uh, respectful of what people go through when they decide who they're going to vote for. So um, that's the first segment. When we get back, we'll have Richard Lim of this American president podcast. Stay right there.
5: some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for a health care plan, or more importantly, if you signed up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. MediShare is a Christian health care sharing program. It's been around for 25 years. They have hundreds of thousands of members all across the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2.5 billion of each other's medical bills. Best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings may be less or more, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. Just hit star-star-345. That's star star three four five. Star Star 345.
1: Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. Number two, he must stop at Bethel. Bethel is a place where covenant and character transformation happen. Bethel was a place in the book of Genesis that Jacob the manipulator, Jacob the supplanter, Jacob, the guy that would lie and twist and cheat and perhaps steal. And he lay down in a place where a ladder went between him and heaven, and he saw the angel of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. And in that place, he said, I'm going to pour out oil on the stone and make this stone a pillar. And here I'm going to vow to bring a tenth of everything I earn. I will call the place called Luz, L-U-Z. I will call it Bethel, the house of God." Luz means almond tree or perverse. It speaks of the place in our character, in our lives, that we go from our own twistedness, our own iniquity, and that God begins to transform that which is twisted in all of our lives, even if we're believers. And he supplants the twistedness with a God encounter And in that place where God visits us, it becomes the house of God, and we become the man and the woman of God that we are supposed to be. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Amidale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org.
0: You're listening to a best of edition of Stacey on the Right. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right.
4: Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you today. Happy Friday to you. <laughs> I hope it's cracking up to be all that you'd hoped it would be. I know for me, I'm looking outside. The weather is gorgeous. It's hot, of course. Um, and it's a great day to be alive and just want to continue to lift up in prayer. The, uh, victims of the duck boat accident in Branson, Missouri. And hopefully, um, we'll be getting, I'm, I'm hoping for some silver lining that some of the ones who were hospitalized after they were pulled from the water that they'll pull through, um, Hopefully that they'll come out of critical condition. So looking for some more announcements on that. But right now, it's my pleasure to welcome a frequent guest on the program and really fantastic podcast. His podcast is called This American President. He's a historian, author, national security commentator, former White House political appointee in the Bush administration, Richard Lim. Thank you for coming on today.
3: Hey, Stacey. How are you?
4: Oh, it's been a really interesting news day with the salads from McDonald's and the uh, you mm. know, people getting sick from that. And then you have this awful duck boat accident down in Branson, Missouri, which is just five hours oh, away yeah. from where I live. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, yeah. we, there's good news, obviously, a little bit of good news here and there, but it's just been a really interesting news day. And I was so excited to see that you could join us today uh, to talk about our foreign policy with all of the news that's been going on out of Helsinki. And then the week before, that, there was the NATO, um, the dust right. up with the president kind of saying, look, y'all going to ante up or we're going to start yanking troops. And people responded to that. So um, you, I'm just going right. to cut you loose. You you go and tell us what what did you see over the past uh, nine days, I guess you would say, that was interesting or, or that has kind of directional shifts for us.
3: Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, it, it, it's so fascinating the way politics takes uh, things that have been the way they've been for a long time. I mean, for a very long time, uh, the Republican Party was the, the party that was, you know, very strong on, on uh, American interests. In the Democratic Party, they were so big. They always talked about diplomacy. And you see a lot of things split right now. Um, you know, you mentioned about, uh, you know, President uh, Trump meeting with the NATO leaders and everything like that. Well, you know, Barack Obama himself, when he was president, called a lot of our allies freeloaders. He used that term. He called them freeloaders because they weren't, you know, contributing to their own defense. And You know, a lot of people complain about the United States having to spend so much money on defense. And it's like, well, if we had a little bit of help, maybe that wouldn't be the case. And so... You know, Trump is really uh, continuing a policy that a lot of people have talked about, but only he is someone that's actually doing something about it and trying to get people to pay their fair share.
4: I just so I understand partisanship. I understand not acknowledging something you're like, you know, begrudgingly like I do like that, but it's him. So I'm not going to say anything. But back when President Obama was in charge, when he did things that I felt like, okay, I'm glad he's doing that. I would say, you know, sometimes I'd be (laughs) mad and I'd say broken clock syndrome, you know, broken clocks right twice a day. Mm -hmm. I'd say that. But other times I would I would actually say this is something that he should be doing. I wish he would do more of this. This is one of those instances where maybe you were mad when he first, you know, they had the photo op and normally they just say nice things to each other. and It's like, you know, glad handing and kissing each other's cheeks. And instead he chose to bring everybody like onto the table and say, look, y'all, you Y'all aren't doing what you need to do. And that was right. embarrassing for some people who really like the kind of stuffed shirt diplomacy that Donald Trump seems in, unable to do that. I don't know why people are surprised anymore. But, you know, Richard, right. after at the end of the NATO meeting, when he says we raised $34 billion, Americans mm-hmm. everywhere should have put their salad forks down, put down their udon noodle sticks and just start <laughs> clapping, you know, like, good, you know, golf oh, yeah. clap, Trump, golf clap, because we really are everybody's police force. We're like protecting everybody and their grandpa, or we have troops on the ground, killing mercenaries and doing all kinds of stuff. It's it's no joke. We got a really cool military. Our military is like on the game, but why do we have to foot the bill for everyone? You know,
3: it's so funny. So um, I I was talking to a friend of mine about this and, you know, people were saying, Oh, this damages our relationship and our uh, alliances and, You know, know, when one of my friends, she she doesn't follow foreign policy super in-depth, but, you know, she's got a lot of wisdom, and she said, you know, if you have a real alliance with somebody, a real partnership, you should be able to say something honestly. You know, if, if other people are taking advantage of you and they're your supposed partners, you should be able to say, well, you guys need to, you know, do your fair share. And that's why so many people hate the establishment, because, The rules, uh, they just get used to these rules that are stacked up against us. Um, And so, yeah, I I think that it's so important that you have somebody that can take a step back and say, okay, well, why is this happening? And that's something that uh, if you look at Donald Trump's interviews going back to even the 80s under President when Reagan was in office, he was actually saying a lot of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people like to point out things that he's, you know, change positions on, but this is specifically something he's always been clear about where he's saying, Hey, look, uh, why are we the ones putting the bill here? This isn't a good deal. And now he's in a position to actually do something about it.
4: Yeah. And, and, and also can I just, let's, let's do a little like an analogy that comes to mind for me and it's, it may not be completely perfectly like matching up, but it's, it's similar is where, you know, you maybe have three teenagers, let's say. We have three Mm -hmm. teenagers, and let's say the three teenagers have. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you. So they they've agreed to do like over the summer. They've agreed to do this many jobs, and in exchange for those jobs, you've agreed to pay them, you know, x amount of dollars, and they have access to a car and some other stuff that they don't really have to pay for. But they have to sure. keep the car clean and they have to keep it washed and vacuumed out. And they also have to put gas in it. And, you know, so there's a little bit of a trade off right. there. You know, you're getting something we get to, you know, the benefit we get mm-hmm. is that we know you're, you're safe and not getting into trouble. You're using this car, you're mm-hmm. doing this, that, you're doing some chores. Great deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good deal yeah. for both sides. But one is clearly providing yeah. more than the other. Well, then, right. you know, halfway through the summer, the car is filthy, it's caked up, it's it's not been taken care of, it's empty, the mm-hmm. oil hasn't been changed, it's not been taken care of, and none of the chores mm-hmm. that were being paid for have been done. So you're you're basically hey. giving out these allowances every week and you're getting nothing in return. No one mm-hmm. would say that you have to keep going on like that as the parent. And the kids have to keep getting all the benefits. They would say, if you said, look, the car is in the garage until Mm -hmm. further notice and and all of the benefits were taken away until the kids learned their lesson or decided to ante up, no one would have a problem with that. But and this is essentially what President Trump did. He basically went there and said, if you want fifty five thousand troops to stay in Germany, you need to increase to two percent. You need to show me your plan. Mm -hmm. And this is your first Mm -hmm. year of increasing. I don't get how that's damaging to the relationship. They seem like they love him. Even Merkel, who mm-hmm. loves no one and never smiles, seems like she's <laughs> tacitly like, almost afraid of him. Like She, she mm-hmm. views him as like a, almost like a serpent just to keep her eyes on him. But she doesn't hate him. Mm-hmm. I've seen her sitting at him, looking at him, listening to him talking. She's even on camera smiling at him at times. It's There's no hate.
3: It's, you know, I, I love that you bring that up because uh, – You know, as I said, there are all these misperceptions about foreign policy. One of them is that the Republicans are warmongers. The Democrats are just these beloved, uh, you know, master diplomats. But if you look at the historical record, that's actually not very true. Uh, You mentioned about Merkel. When you look about at the Cold War, a lot of the former Soviets there, uh, after the wall fell, They said that during the Cold War, they actually preferred Republican presidents over Democrats because Republicans, they knew where they stood. They knew that Reagan was an anti-communist. There was honesty there. They respected that, and they said, all right, where do we go from here? Same thing with Nixon versus with Democrats. They often told you what you wanted to hear, so they would talk soft, but then when they came home, they would suddenly talk tough, and it was a lot more destabilizing. And I like to point at the historical record because when you look at which presidents actually got big agreements done with the Soviet Union, it were Republicans like Richard Nixon signing the SALT treaties, like Reagan signing the INF treaties. You look at Democrats, goodness, Lyndon Johnson, horrible foreign policy. Jimmy Carter, horrible foreign policy. So it's really a lie. That the Democrats are this great diplomatic party, and the Republicans, all they do is just invade countries. All, all of that's a lie. So it's it, it you know the way that you bring that up as far as uh, Chancellor Merkel, I, I think there's respect that comes there from honesty.
4: It's honestly, I know that there are a lot of photographs of uh, President Obama, you know, leaning back in mm-hmm. the seats in these events and taking selfies, and there's a lot of kind of there's this mystique that he was the cool kid and they all want to be his mm-hmm. friend. But mm-hmm. none of them feared him. And I know mm-hmm. that this this is why they call us warmongers, because we're always like, turn it to a sheet of glass, you know, pull the Moabs right. out. Get, you know, get this thing done. We have a military for a reason. And we do tend to be mm-hmm. much more like we're stronger on what we put forward in the international community. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they don't like Donald Trump, who is by all reports, a very likable person like Mm -hmm. everyone there's not many people out there who say they've interacted with him and they don't like him they may not like his policies they may have trump derangement syndrome Mm -hmm. but there's not many people out there who are on the record of saying they met him and they didn't like him and i really feel like with the with the german leaders they know the situation they may act as if Mm -hmm. like trudeau always acts as if any second now canada we're we're just gonna separate Mm -hmm. ourselves from the from america because we just don't like what we're seeing they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. Right. We essentially are their military. They, their economy right. is intricately linked with our own. They're basically oh, yeah. America light, you know, cold America. <laughs> you know, right. they're, they're not, they, it's, they have zero, there's zero chance that they're going to do anything substantial that would be a move against us because they can't. Right. Like they can't do anything against us. The only reason their socialism mm-hmm. works is because we provide their military. So mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's odd and, it's weird to see media types put that that forward that they don't like Trump or that he mm-hmm. somehow insulted them. i don't I didn't hear anybody say they were insulted. I just mostly heard them talk about how they didn't think they could afford it, but then afterwards, they mm-hmm. had raised a whole bunch of money. Yeah,
3: you know, and, and it's funny that you you bring that up because uh, when you look at President Trump, first of all, I, I remember reading that Nancy Pelosi when she met Donald Trump, she said that he was a perfect gentleman. And, you know, obviously Nancy Pelosi thinks that Trump's policies are, are from the devil, but, you know, she knows that he has that charm and that, you know, he's, he ha- there's a reason why he's been so successful. Now, with that said, uh, you mentioned President Obama, and as we all know, there was a huge love fest with the world and Obama, and they gave him the Nobel Prize. When you think about it, he did not have any real foreign policy partnerships. He didn't, he wasn't close to that many of them. In fact, I think a lot of them resented him, you know, when when he went in the 2008 campaign and he went to Germany and basically held a rally there. That upset the Germans, it upset Merkel, because, you know, that's not what you have foreign trips for. You're a senator, why are you doing that? You look at George W. Bush, who was one of the most vilified presidents uh, in, in terms of, you know, the world and the media... But he had a lot of partnerships. He had—he was close to Blair. He was close to the uh, Spanish President Anzar. Heck, he was even—you uh, know—maybe uh, a, a little too quick. But you know, he had a rapport with Putin to an extent. He was close to uh, Koizumi in Japan. So again, it, it just goes to this lie that Republicans are are hated and Democrats are beloved around the world. When you think about it, George W. Bush had better relations with with leaders than Barack Obama, and that's ironic.
4: And remember when he was president? Well, the foreign the foreigners see him as a wild, unpredictable cowboy, and they hate America. And I remember we were abroad during during his presidency on a trip as a family, and I was like, I, I, I they would say, Ah, oh, George W. Bush, he's such a cowboy. Like that. Mm-hmm. Not like, here's yeah, a scary sure. cowboy. They're like, he's such a cowboy. Because, you know, he was from Texas. So in their mind, right. he had to be a cowboy because everyone in Texas is a cowboy. Foreigners right. don't really right. understand the scope and size of our country, which is, sure. it's not a shock because, I mean, if you think about, it, let's just take Germany, uh, land mass of Montana, but population, 90 million. So they don't, when they think mm-hmm. about America, they think of it in the same terms as their country. They have states within Germany we have states right. that are like four times the size of Montana, one state, yep. you know, so they don't get mm-hmm. that unless they've been here and even after, yeah, it's like their entire continent is small enough to fit almost two times inside of Texas. I'm pretty sure if I, if I've got right. that right, <laughs> they, they don't. So it's not that they're, they're saying <laughs> cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they're not, I, I, I hate it when the media tries to tell Americans that Europeans are sitting around, like, when they're sipping their espresso, they're actually saying bad things about America. I don't think they have anything against us, really. They probably find it odd that we have so much rancor between us because we've got it so good. Like, why are we always fighting each other? We've got it the best out of everybody else. Um, Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, you know, uh, one thing I also wanted to address is that, you know, the media is just totally pushing this whole... Trump committed treason and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, whether or not uh, you could could parse Trump's language and pick a bone with what he he said, they forget that Donald Trump has imposed sanctions on over 100 different Russian entities. He's expelled uh, 60 Russian intelligence officers. He's strengthening NATO. Uh, You know, all of this What it does is strengthen NATO. So when they talk about it's just such a narrative, it's such a forced narrative that he's somehow capitulated to the Russians and it's all the headline stuff. But when you actually look at the policy stuff, that's not what's going on. And it just shows you, you know, the media is just keeping they keep pushing this 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 narrative. And I think a lot of people see through that.
4: I think so, too, Um, because when whenever they go out in the streets and they take to the streets and talk to people, people are like, yeah yeah, you know, he's all right by me. Mm. Like they're, they're they're just like, they're not that emotionally invested. Um, I, I wanted to (laughs) thank you again for coming on today and, and expert analysis as always. Thank you, Richard, for being with us today. Richard Lim, founder of this American president podcast. Uh, Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. We will be back with more. Um, I want to talk a little bit about these Chinese Navy ships that come within nautical miles of our, 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 actual landmass. We're going to talk about that a little bit when we get back. And I have more news and information for you here on this Friday afternoon on Stacy on the Right, on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stay there. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Recently, there was a mass shooting in Trenton, New Jersey. It's not national news because the victims aren't TV ready and the perpetrators were gang members who used the wrong type of firearm. Art All Night Trenton is an annual family-friendly event showcasing art, films, and food. Warnings about possible gang activity brought the event to an early end. Gunmen killed one person and injured 21 others, qualifying this event as a mass shooting. So where are the gun control rallies and exhaustive reports on the types of guns used? This type of shooting happens across the country every weekend in urban areas, so no big deal, right? Inner city shootings only matter to major media when AR-15s or assault-style rifles are used. The victim and perpetrators were black and there will be no rallies. National crime is down, but urban gang violence persists. Either we care about all mass shootings, no matter who the victims and perpetrators are, or we don't. There is no middle ground. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com.
1: Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk.
4: She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday,
0: and insightful.
4: Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats.
0: But most of all, she's on the right.
4: That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left <laughs> just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right,
1: now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk.
0: Abraham Hamilton III.
1: God put us
0: in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment.
1: Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk.
3: Here's Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16, read the FAQs, and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope.
5: Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com.
0: You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right.
1: This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk.
2: Well, look, the left eats their own. I mean, this is yes. exactly what I've been talking about on my show for the last couple of years. This might be a case where the left is supposed to eat their own, but they eat their own even when they're not supposed <laughs> to eat <laughs> Good their own. Boy. But it's interesting that he's still trying to frame himself as the victim here. I mean, he, he's not the victim. Right. He's not mm-hmm. the victim when it comes to Monica Lewinsky, and he's certainly not the victim when it comes to all those other women, regardless of what the actual truth is, if we're supposed to believe the initial uh, accusation. And then, of That's course, right. you have to find evidence for those things. But but this is just the nature. This is the nature of what's happening in general with the internet right now. That the conversation just doesn't stop. And you know, when this was happening with Bill Clinton back in the early '90s, this was only happening on the media. You know, mainstream media was only having these conversations. Now it can keep bubbling up on the, online, and they can't control it anymore. So then it bubbles up, and then next thing he knows, he's having to do this with Colbert.
4: So you're listening to the voice of Dave Rubin talking to Tucker Carlson about this phenomenon that is occurring repetitively with uh, former President Bill Clinton, who is still out making the rounds. He was on Stephen Colbert, and Stephen Colbert was really um, pointedly rude to him, and he seemed a bit taken aback by it. I don't think he was expecting it. He's used to being treated as a darling of the media, and he's not used to being forcibly confronted about Uh, especially things that are as old as the Monica Lewinsky affair. And Dave Rubin uh, was surprised to hear that Tucker Carlson kind of felt sympathy for Bill Clinton because he's, he's just still getting wrecked over the colds for this old stuff. And Dave Rubin says he doesn't have sympathy for him because he, you know, he, he, he's misbehaved. He's gotten away with it. And now there's this me too movement, which requires that he be, you know, re re roasted for the old behavior. And I think, you know, we've had guests on who've talked about the enduring quality of the Clintons and how they just don't go away and how they can't go away because the minute they stop running, people start to see them as, you know, possible targets for prosecution and et cetera, et cetera. And that's interesting because wherever we covered it on the show a couple of weeks ago, it just came to mind this morning when I was listening to this clip. I was watching it on, on, on my laptop and I I remembered, weren't they just... Like on Drudge and on UK Daily Mail, they flew coach and they were so, they were such a spectacle and they were roundly mocked because they were in coach. They, people were making fun of their clothes and the way they looked and they were not respected. They weren't revered. They were confronted in the airport. Someone said something rude to Hillary and Bill and they had one Secret Service guy with them, but it was, it was still like instead of them swanning around and people kind of deferring to them, people are now finding them to be a source of derision and there's finger pointing going on. And I don't, I don't agree with any of that just to be on the record as much as I loathe the record of bill and Hillary Clinton and their behavior, their activities here in the United States. I don't believe that it is appropriate to mock or publicly vilify anyone like that because I mean it, It's different if you think, oh, they're under arrest or something like that. And, you know, people tend to get a mob mentality surrounding that. And I don't I don't agree with that either. But it's you see two people that you think have are getting away with with crime. They're in an airport and so are you. What exactly are you solving by pointing fingers and yelling or. I mean, I can see you maybe, you know, giving an askance look, a little side eye, you know, maybe you notice them and you you stare for a minute before you realize, oh, I'm staring. But rude behavior is never to be condoned because what happens is you forget people have, you know, you have your hairline temper folks and you have your um, people are going to react. So I, I, it's kind of this weird phenomenon that's going on with the liberals right now, where you have Maxine Waters, who's incited a lot of very, borderline mental people to start confronting elected officials in public. Uh, people who are affiliated with the Trump campaign, people who are wearing Trump gear. But what you don't understand is as crazy as you might feel in that moment and you're like finger point, And I don't mean you as in people in this audience. I'm speaking as in you as in liberals who are engaging in this Uber drivers and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's crazy. What you don't get to take into consideration is what their reaction is going to be. You're basically assuming that every person you encounter who is outwardly supporting Donald Trump is a sane, laid back individual who is willing to be made into a victim by you, dressed down by you, yelled at by you, whatever, whatever, whatever. That is a bet that you can you can keep rolling those dice and keep, you know, finger pointing, accosting, yelling, etc. You don't know when you're going to come across that person that snaps back. And then what are you going to do? I mean, it's as if you're saying these people who are doing these things to people who are out in public, they're saying they're willing to go all the way. But do you know what all the way is? And do you know what that person you're confronting is going to do? You hope they're going to get up and walk away or that they're going to just sit there and let you dress them down in public? But how do you know? It's its a calculation I just don't understand. i And maybe it's because I'm into personal safety and kind of maintaining my, my personal, you know, I I'm into that. Like, I just don't think it's smart to accost people because you don't know what they're going to do. And maybe it's the training, you know, you get your concealed carry permit and they train you about reading people's body language and, and maintaining situational awareness. And I just, you know, my father was military police. He's still in law enforcement That whole thing, like growing up, you know, in his household and all of that, I just, it is never a good idea to bank on your target being a soft one. You don't know what people will do. And so I'm not saying that because I'm advocating for violence. It's the opposite. I wish that people would really think through before they would take these crazy actions that, like, So here's the other thing. Maxine Waters is fine to recommend these wild, crazy things because she can hire security. She's wealthy. So she can hire security. She can have staffers travel with her. She doesn't have to announce that she has armed people in her midst. She's not required to do that. So when someone like that who lives a rarefied lifestyle recommends that you, Joe America, Take it upon yourself to go and start accosting people and verbally assaulting people and get in their faces. Resist. Sounds great on Twitter. Ooh, you sound tough and big and bad online social media talking like that. But the reality of the situation is you don't know what someone's going to do if you decide to be that person, which is why I recommend not to be, don't be that person. Don't be that guy. People are advocating for violence. They're condoning it. They're saying they're excusing it, that it's, you have to do it because there's, it's a resistance. You don't have to do anything. You can just hear that and let it roll right out of just, it's just, you just heard it. Didn't go in, did not compute. Not something you're going to engage in. For your own personal safety, that's, you know, if you look at it that way, is the resistance worth you getting on the news and losing your job? Is the resistance worth you accosting someone who accosts you back? You know, I don't think so. I I don't think Maxine Waters, who most Americans have never met, is worth putting your job and your your livelihood and your personal, you know, it's your privacy that you're giving up when you make the national news for something like that. Now everybody knows who you are for a while and you're viral in a bad way. It's not what you want. So I just, I had to bring that uh, to the fore today because it's, it's, this is so nonsensical to me that. People are engaging in this and that they're doing this and that it just keeps on happening. Um, So I have some poll information for you, kind of like poll report. Gallup did a poll of 1,033 adults living in the United States, and they do this poll all the time. It's one of their mainstays in their polling apparatus. And they ask this question, which is they call it their most important problem question. What do you think is the most important problem facing a country today? And usually it, it ranges like anything from race relations, unifying the country, lack of respect for each other, economy in general, health care, ethics, more religious, family decline, unemployment, jobs, you name it. There's a ton of different topics that people can pr- choose from, which means it's usually not a huge segment. Like the the number one issue will still be in the teens, like 15, 17%, 14%, whatever. Well, this time they were surprised to see that a record number of Americans, 22% for their poll, which is significant for them, say that the number one issue that they believe is most important problem facing the United States is immigration and illegal aliens. The last time that number was high was in June at 14%. The previous high for immigration as a topic had been 19%, and that was back in 2006. So The other issues that were polled came in like dissatisfaction with government and poor leadership came in at 19 percent and race relations and race came in at seven percent of respondents said that was, you know, what they felt was the biggest issue facing the country, unifying the country, six percent lack of respect for each other, six percent economy in general, four percent down at the bottom at two percent each. Judicial system, courts and laws, environment, pollution, education, guns, gun control, poverty, hunger, and homelessness, and federal budget deficit and federal debt, unemployment and jobs all had 2% of respondents feeling they were the most important. That's significant. So first of all, it's significant that gun control is down at the bottom. And second of all, or first of all, whichever way you're looking at it, that illegal immigration, which is the hot button issue right now besides President Trump's foreign policy, is what Americans are most concerned about and with good reason. So what I want us to think about as, as we go into the weekend is how we can pray for these different issues. Uh, we have so many options for um, how we approach the issues of the day. And obviously, we're human beings. We're going to feel fear. At times, we're going to feel anger. We're, we're going to have emotions. That's just... Humans are going to human. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is incumbent upon us as Christians to pray about these issues and to really dedicate ourselves to lifting them before the Lord in prayer. And so I encourage you to make that something that you do, whether you set a reminder or maybe you have a list of things that you pray or maybe you have a prayer journal, which is very helpful with keeping track of answered prayer, which encourages us. And if you've ever seen the movie, uh, oh, what was it called? Prayer Warrior. It was a really good movie. Um, the lady in there actually had framed things, answered prayers, and then she framed them and she put them on, on her hallway. So every time she walked by, she could look at it and remember the things that God had done for her. You know, a grateful heart is, it's a source of joy and peace and it really can change your outlook on things. So I encourage all of us to pray and to keep a journal or a record of, of what we're praying for And watch the Lord answer our prayers. So I said we were going to talk about the Chinese Navy ships. uh, And these are, it's not just Chinese Navy ships. But I'm going to give you all the different ones that I found here. This story is from 2015. So this is pretty recent. Chinese Navy ships came within 12 nautical miles of the U.S. coast. And this was off of Alaska. They were just basically in the area. But it wasn't their first time. They were operating And then moved the ships within 12 nautical miles of the coast, making a rare foray into U.S. territorial waters, according to the Pentagon at the time. There were five Chinese Navy ships passing through U.S. territorial waters as they transited the Aleutian Islands. But they said they had complied with international law and didn't do anything threatening. So basically it was like, we're going to let our ships go into your water. But then when you ask us about it, we're going to say we didn't do anything. Now what? (laughs) You know, so this is what they did. There was no known official communication to the United States from the ships. They just did it. And yeah, uh uh-huh. So you might say, well, that was the Chinese. So what? Well, the Russians have done the same thing. Uh, Back in 2017, the Russians sent a spy ship near the U.S. coast and deployed banned missiles from Russia. So the Russian spy ship was spotted patrolling off the east coast of the United States The first such instance during the Trump administration, the same day it was learned that that the Kremlin had secretly deployed controversial cruise missiles inside Russia and flew within 200 yards of a U.S. Navy destroyer. The Russian ship was in international waters, 70 miles off the coast of Delaware and heading north at 10 knots. The U.S. territorial line is 12 nautical miles off land. It was not immediately clear where the ship was headed. Later on Tuesday, a U.S. official confirmed to Fox News that Russia had deployed ground-launched cruise missiles missiles to two locations inside the country in December. The New York Times first reported that the Obama administration had previously seen the missiles, then in a testing phase as a violation of a 1987 treaty between the U.S. and Russia that banned ground-launched intermediate-range missiles. But Russia pressed ahead with the program anyway. They were apparently testing a Trump administration, which has sought better ties with Moscow, but is also fresh off of the loss of their national security advisor, Mike Flynn. So to kind of give you some perspective on what time and what was going on in the country when this happened. So Russians have done it. Chinese have done it. Who else can we find? Oh, the Iranians. So apparently the Iranians had one of their ships off of our coast. They sent their warships to the United States. And this was back in 2014. They did this to protest um, the US military presence in the Persian Gulf. They posed little danger to us at the time, but they were a dry run. So, you know, I find it comical that these other countries like to jump froggy with us because we have naval destroyers deployed in every body of water on the globe. It's kind of crazy that they would engage in this, but yet they do. And it's why we have to be firm on our foreign policy. They do it during the Obama administration. They're now doing it during the Trump administration, testing the waters, poking the bear. We got to be strong on that stuff. All right, that's the weekend. God bless you. Enjoy, and we'll be back with you next week.